you guys just love doing community together. We're talking about relationships. I figure after four weeks, everyone will get the chance to see that video once uh, as we lead into the sermon. Uh, but we are looking at what it is to find the good life. And uh, just a reminder of where we've started from. There's been some university research done uh, for over 80 years now, tracking what it is that determines health and happiness in people. Secular study that started and has now followed through the generations of those that were first uh, studied. Thousands of people have been part of what has become the longest running longitudinal study of, uh, of history from our understanding. And they've come emphatically with the answer that the key to the good life and finding the good life and health and happiness is found in relationships. Not in money, not in wealth, not in possession, not in the right job, not in the right location, but in the people we surround ourselves with. And last week we started talking about the most intimate relationships in life. We spoke about marriage and singleness. And the big idea of last week is no matter what our relational status the most important relationship that we can invest in is a relationship with Jesus because everything else that's important can flow from that. But as we move through this series over the next couple of weeks, landing on Grandparents Day, we're going to move out. If you think about a widening circle of relationships in your life, we started with the most intimate last week. Today, I'm going to talk about family. Now, it's probably good that I'm talking about family this week because some of my family is abandoning me this week. Chrissy's heading away uh, for seven days. Her dad and some of her older siblings invited her on a family holiday. So she's jumping on a cruise ship this morning uh, to get looked after. So it's good that I talk about family today because in seven days' time, after being at home with the five kids by myself, uh, I may not be as prepared and as ready to share some of what I'm going to share with you although I know we're going to have a fun week. But I want to talk about family, and I want to start by unpacking this term, and this is part of the challenge of this series, is that we need to unpack some of the terms, because instantly these ideas come for some of us with triggers. We hear the word family, and we think this doesn't apply to me, or this is going to be a painful message to listen to. But I want to go back to right at the beginning of Scripture where we see the creation account that tells us something very important about how God works and how God operates. And it's this, that God is a God of order. There's been all endless conversations and arguments about the creation account and what it means and how we should interpret it. And, you know, people rage and debate about it and continue to do so. But one of the key messages of Genesis 1 and 2 is the reminder that God is a God of order. And contrasting a whole bunch of other uh, religions and other ancient societies' creation accounts, that a creation account we have in the Christian scriptures shows us this order and rhythm. Think about the way the story is told that God created and God saw that it was good, and then God created and God saw it was good, even in the rhythm of how it's told. And there was evening and there was morning, and there was evening and there was morning, and there was evening and there was morning. There's something even in this, the way the story is told that just wants to say to us that God is a God that brings all order into chaos, who brings rhythm into life. And starting out talking about family, I want to say this, that family is part of God's order. You were made for relationship, you were made for community, and God placed you in a family. But here's where it gets a little interesting because, and I don't have time to fully unpack this, I encourage those of you that love to study um, the scriptures and the context of the scriptures to go and do your own investigation of this. But if you jump into the Old Testament, it's really hard to nail down an idea of family. 
Like if you, the, the one word that gets closest to the idea of family in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament scriptures is a word that the Hebrew word is Beth Av, which essentially means the house of the father. Because when the Old Testament speaks to the people of Israel, Israel, the nation, also was divided into tribes and within those tribes, clans, and within those clans, households. So when the Bible in the early stages talks about family, it addresses more the idea of the household. And the household, or the father's household, because it was a patriarchal society, was the place where there was an economic future for those that were part of the household. There was a faith future for those that were part of the household. And so when we talk about family, it's not just something that speaks to our understanding of the nuclear family. In the Old Testament, when there's laws and regulations and things that are spoken to the household of the father, everybody was enveloped into that. And the Bible talks about when I speak these things, I don't just talk about your spouse and your children. I speak also to those that live within your household. In ancient times, that included slaves, it included concubines, it included relatives, it included foreigners that had wandered onto your land that you had welcomed into your family. So when the, the Bible gives us an idea of family, it speaks to this idea of household. In other words, everybody had a place of belonging. I think it's really important for us today because in this room, all of us have very different family stories. Some of us here have known a very tight-knit and connected nuclear family, and that's what we've known for life. But for some of us in this room, we've never been close to or maybe never even known our nuclear family. And so it's really important as we talk about family this morning that we understand that the vision of the Scriptures is an inclusive one, that everybody would find a place to call home a place of connection and flourishing. So I hope as we talk about family today that all of us can find ourselves in this story. So what is God's vision for the family? I want to run through six things that I reckon the scripture tells us as part of the vision for family as we read it and as we understand it and as it was structured. I'm going to run through the first four really quickly and then sit on the last two for a minute because I think it's where the meat of what we want to take away from today really lies. But the vision for the family as God saw it was that family was a place of protection. Now protection took on a very real reality physically in the ancient world. When the scriptures were written, they were written to people that were living in very harsh physical environments. They didn't have the luxuries that we have today. And so some of the things that the Bible speaks to in the context of the household or the family is actually about the physical well-being and future of those that were part of that group. See, God's vision for family was that it would be a place of protection, of physical protection, of protection from Enemies, those that would want to come and destroy. I still believe that one of God's visions for your family is it is a place of protection. That as we come into a group that know us and love us and that understand the deepest parts of who we are, that we are people in need of protection. But God's vision for family wasn't just a protection. It was also a vision of belonging. If you ever set out on a quest, some of you here would have done this, where you feel we have this narrative that says we're more spiritual if we read the Bible from cover to cover. And uh, so we've started doing it. 
and we've gone really well when we're enthusiastic. I talk about this a bit, you know, New Year's resolution, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover. We charge through Genesis, we get into Exodus, it's interesting, and then we get to Leviticus and Numbers and every well-meaning person starts to feel like a failure because you start to get across these things in the Scripture known as genealogies. You ever done that where you think, surely there's not one word in this book that will return, doesn't it say not one word will return void? But now I'm reading about how such and such, I can't even pronounce their name, was the son of such and such, was the son of such and such, who was the brother of so and so. And, and like you just, you're there going, there should, I, I, God, what is it that you want to say to me out of this today? And why am I reading page after page after page of other people's family histories and family trees? Surely there's something in it. Well, there is something in it. For, for the ancient world and for people of the time, who you were connected to and who your family line was was really important because it gave you meaning, definition and purpose and a place in this world. And so we now, without the same understanding of that context, read these thinking, what sense does it make? But for people from ancient times, when they could see where a person was connected and where their family story linked them to, it helped make sense of their story. You see, families were places where people found belonging and found a grander narrative in their own story. And I believe today that our families are still meant to be places of belonging where we make sense of our larger stories. But families are also places for authenticity. I don't know about you, some parents here might have had this experience. You sit down, it's the end of semester and the kids' report cards arrive home and you think, oh man, with fear and trepidation, I'm going to read this. I mean, this child has been a terror this term. I just cannot imagine. I don't want to face the teacher. They deserve chocolates and flowers and Zarafa's vouchers and everything else I can possibly bring them. And then you open the report card and it says, you know, little Johnny was an absolute angel. They're a blessing to have in class. They're kind and respectful. They don't talk out of turn. And they must be such a blessing to your life. And then you think, are they talking about my kid? Ever had that experience? But then you realise that the safest place for people is the place where sometimes they just let all the challenge and emotion out. And I've had many people say that to me, you should be really chuffed when your kids are learning something that enables them to function well socially and sometimes you have to embrace it. The safest place, which sometimes is when they're home, is the place where all that needs to be dealt with comes out. Our places, families are meant to be places where we can be completely authentic and completely ourselves, but families were designed to be places of flourishing. I mean, there's things that happen in families that are very mundane and very ordinary. People get fed, people get sheltered, people get educated, people grow. And I would say one of, the, one of the great challenges to live out God's vision for your family is that some of us are driven by results and some of us are driven by the next thing and the next initiative and the next great opportunity. But God has said one of the most important things for those of you that are part of a family is to invest those that God has put in your household, but they're slow burns. It's just an incremental step-by-step -step journey, sometimes steps forward and sometimes step back. But God's design and God's ordered design is that families should be places for flourishing. So God's vision for your family is a place of protection, a place of belonging, a place of authenticity and a place of flourishing. But two more, 
Part of God's designs for families is that they should be place for wisdom. You know, the Bible places a great amount of focus on wisdom. There's a whole chunk of your scriptures that, in a grander sense, are labelled the poetry and wisdom literature. Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations. They're books of wisdom and books of poetry. And so the Bible places a great amount on the idea of wisdom, of those lessons that are passed down through generations. See, we live in a very individual and autonomous society and sometimes one of the things that gets lost in that is the place of wisdom. But Proverbs 3 says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. And families are part of God's design for wisdom to be passed through generations. It actually finds its way into the Ten Commandments, part of Scripture that many people know about. But Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. But listen to this, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Young people here today, even older people, The scripture says this, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment that actually comes with a promise. What happens when you do that? Well, it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. Want to have a long life, kids? Eat as much chocolate as you want, as much pizza as you want, as many chico rolls as you want. Just be good to mum and dad. That's not true. Don't eat chocolate, don't eat pizza, don't eat chico rolls. The doctor told me they're all bad things. But there's something, what, what is it? What, is it just something we go, well, as long as I honour my father and mother, it's this magical equation that means that I'll have a long life. Now, this speaks to the idea of wisdom. That in your life, God has placed some people in your life that have gone before you, that have learnt some lessons, that have actually understood and made sense of how the world works. And sometimes they've done it through their own failings, through making some big dumb mistakes themselves. And young people, I just want to talk to you here for a moment. Your parents right now are actually elbowing you. If they're sitting with you, go and get off your phone, stop looking at the floor, listen. Because Andrew's going to talk about what it means to listen to what we have to say. I just want to say this to all you young people. Your mum, your dad, those that have um, a role in your house, you might not live in a house with mum and dad, but those in your house that have gone before you have got some things to impart in your life not because they got it all right, but sometimes because they got it all wrong. And sometimes you want to go, well, you did it. Why can't I do it? Well, sometimes your parents come and sit with you and go, I want to talk to you about relationships and some things you shouldn't do in relationships. And you go, well, it was all right for you to do them. And they're going, yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't all right. I did them, but it wasn't all right. And I want to tell you about how it worked out. Parents, I want to encourage you. Have those conversations with your kids. Don't just make your kids believe that you're wonderful and got it all together because they don't believe that. If you think you do, you're just kidding yourself. 
But part of wisdom is actually being able to sit and say, listen, let me tell you about my story, about some of the decisions I made and about some of the dumb things that I did. And I tell you because I love you and wisdom would suggest that because of my lesson, you don't have to live it. I know we don't like, our kids don't necessarily like, my kids aren't here, it's awesome. I can say what I want. But our kids don't necessarily want to talk to their parents about relationships and about healthy boundaries when it comes to the physical side of relationship and about good decisions, about who you actually connect your life with. Sometimes our kids don't want to hear what mum and dad have got to say about money and about possessions and about generosity and about being frugal and setting a budget and whatever the narrative is in your family. But all of us have gone before and learned some lessons and part of the way God has structured it is that he's imparted some wisdom into all of us that he's given to us to pass on to the next generation. And there's some spiritual reality that part of the reason that God has created families and households is because they should be places for wisdom. And the commandment says, honour your father and your mother. Why? Because as we learn from the past, it gives us keys to understanding our own future. Young people, your mum and dad know a thing or two. They don't know everything and they may not, they actually won't always get it right. But it's worth listening occasionally. Because we learn to honour them and listen to them and take on board what we have to say. Often it's driven out of love so that we don't walk through some of the pain, some of the valleys that they had to because of some of the dumb decisions they made and some of the wisdom that they didn't listen to. Parents, I like a flat white with one sugar if you just want to thank me for this, but no. There's a lesson for you too. Before I get onto that, Proverbs says this, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart, fasten them around your neck. And when you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. So you see, part of God's design of community is he is the ultimate wisdom, but he's invested his wisdom in people that we can share from generation to generation. You might not have a parent that is very wise or has a lot of good stories to share, or maybe you've got a don't have a parent that actually cares. Thankfully, God in his inclusive heart has put others around you that can speak wisdom into your life. Find mentors, find coaches, find those that are a step or two ahead of you in life's journey and listen to them. Apply some of their wisdom. You have to make your own decisions, you have to walk your own journey and you have to learn from your own mistake. But the Bible reminds us that when we take on the wisdom of those that have gone before, it will help us flourish in life. So that's spoken to those of us as we look up to those that have gone before. But kids, oh, but parents, there's a lesson for you too. Paul says this to the Ephesian church, children, obey your parents. For this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. But then it goes on to say, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does the word exasperate? Some of us are going, I'm told not to exasperate my kids, but I have no idea what exasperate means. It sounds like they're breathless. But no, exasperate comes from a word that means to provoke to anger. 
You know those moments where you go, the Bible says you should listen to me and so I'm going to sit you down and you're going to listen to me and I don't care what you think, I don't care what your attitude is, you're going to sit there and you're going to shut your mouth and you're going to listen to what I have to say. And then you just tear strips off your kids. What Paul's trying to say to the church is really important that we listen to wisdom but it's really important that the way we deliver it is not by demeaning, belittling, by being discouraging, but to actually not to provoke to anger or to provoke to discouragement. Colossians 3 quotes the same thing, but it finishes by saying this, do not provoke or do not exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. In other words, there's, there's a dual relationship here, a relationship of listening, but also a relationship of loving instruction where we balance wisdom and provocation by encouraging, uplift, uplifting, mentoring, being gracious and forgiving when our wisdom's not listened to and those underneath us make really dumb mistakes that we wish they'd avoided because just remember the dumb mistakes you made because you didn't listen to wisdom. We all may, always must deliver wisdom with grace. But God's design and desire for your household, for your family, is that it would be a place of wisdom. But finally, God's design and desire for your family is that it would be a place for discipleship. Now what's discipleship? It's a very churchy word, isn't it? But Jesus, when he walked the streets, found a bunch of young men that he tapped on the shoulder and says, I want you to come and follow me and I want you to be my disciple. In other words, I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to observe me and I want my life to rub off on your life. And as you do that, I want your life to be transformed so it's more like mine. So discipleship is when we actually, and all of us are called to, to be discipled. In other words, to actually every day allow Jesus' life to transform our life so every day we become more like Jesus. So discipleship is the place where we let somebody else actually speak into us and show us the way of Jesus so that they too experience more of his life and become more like him. So families are part of God's place for discipleship. Deuteronomy 6, early in the Old Testament, as the law of God's being handed down, God says this, here are the commands, the decrees and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach to you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is Moses speaking. So that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. In other words, God's got the keys to you living a good, long, flourishing life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today to be on your hearts. Now here's the place where it comes into family. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. One of God's earliest instructions to the people of Israel as he formed them into a new community and we think of law as a bad thing. People go, ah, the Bible, Christians, it's just all, there's all these rules. But God put rules in place because without rules, there's chaos. 
And so he brings a bunch of people that had lived as slaves that didn't know how to order themselves or order their life, let alone live as a nation. And he said, I'm gonna give you some rules, some laws to live by that will help you live long in the land and flourish. See, that's always God's desire for the things that He asks you to do, not to put you into a place where you're just living your worst life because you've got all these things that you've got to do. God gives you rules around your life to help you flourish. We have road rules because if we didn't have them, guess what it would be like? Ever been to a part of the world? I've been to a part of the world where there were no road rules or there were road rules, but no one listened to them. Everyone drives on whatever side of the road they want, on the footpaths, on the medium strips. The traffic lights mean nothing. And guess what? You go nowhere fast because everybody living in their freedom ends up just living in chaos. So God gives us boundaries and rules and laws so that we can experience freedom by living within the boundaries of what he asks of us. He says, but you know what? The place where this should be shared should be in the confines of your home. Put it on the door frames of your house. Speak about it when you talk at the table. There's been research. This was thousands of years ago Moses spoke this to the people. But there's been research done in recent years by the Fuller Youth Institute in the US. They wanted to ask the question of what helps faith stick with young people. In other words, they've seen this alarming trend of young people that grow up in the church, get to adulthood and walk away from it. So they're saying, what are some of the things that help faith stick? And they found four key uh, points that really said, when these things are present, we see more young people continuing on in their faith. And one of them was this, that the number one influence when it comes to spirituality in young people, even teenagers, it says, are parents. Let me say that again. Parents are the number one influences when it comes to spirituality in young people, even teenagers. Now, I know some of you are going to hear that and because of your family story, it's going to be something that's going to be hard to grab onto. But I don't want to miss it for those of us here that are people of faith and right now have the responsibility of nurturing the next generation. When I first started out in ministry, I was a youth pastor at our Mackenzie campus for 10 years. Um, never the coolest youth pastor, just always kind of on the edge of going bald and never skinny and fit. But I was the, everyone thought I was awesome, but no, not really. I was, just ne- I was never the cool youth pastor. But I spent 10 years working with young people. But working with young people also meant that I spent 10 years working with their families. And there were two things over that time that I started to see. One, that we live in a time where people want to outsource faith development to other places. Parents are going to say some things, and I'm sorry if if it triggers some things in you this morning, but some of us have spent our whole life outsourcing faith development. We expect the school to do it. We send them to the right school so the school actually looks after the faith development of our kids. We expect the youth pastor to do it. Jimmy's not here today, so I can be really kind to him. I used to cop it from parents because their kids weren't doing as well as they thought, but they were parents that had no input into their kids' faith life. So the first challenge I always saw was that that there were people that wanted to outsource the faith development of their kids to others. And secondly, there was a whole bunch of families that just prayed that their kids would gather faith through osmosis. 
In other words, we just hope that at some point they catch it. We just hope that the environments we put them in are enough for them to catch it. Now, recently I had a conversation with some people I've known for a long time. They're not part of this church, so uh, none of you will know them. And uh, they just turned up to a church service. They hadn't been for about nine months and their kids were there with them. And they said to, the, they said to me in reflection of that, they said, oh, look, yeah, look, we came, but our kids didn't really love it. Like, they tried to, they, they just didn't really want to go talk to the young people. And all the young people have been a bit clicky standing in the corner. And that's really hard, you know, when that happens at church. As I reflected on that conversation, I realised this was a family that had dragged their teenage children into church twice that year. Their kids had lost all connection with their peers. Their kids had lost all relationship with their peers. But now as parents, they were lamenting that the church wasn't doing its job because their kids weren't being welcomed with open arms by the other 13-year-olds in that room. Do you remember what you were like when you were 13? Were you standing at the door going, who's new here today that I can walk up and give a warm cuddle to and welcome them and make them feel accepted and loved and embraced because that is what Jesus would have us do. But there's a whole bunch of parents that in lamenting what's happening for their kids, expect that's what all the 13-year-olds that come that are part of the church should be doing for their kids because they're not doing it for them. The number one influence when it comes to spirituality in young people, even teenagers, are their parents. I can't answer the question for you of what it means for your family to be a place where you're raising disciples. But Christian schools should be great partners in that. Churches should be great partners in that. The youth pastor isn't Jesus, even though ours looks like him. He is not responsible alone for the faith development in your kids. It's a partnership. It's not that what he does and what we do as a church doesn't matter. It's just, it's a partnership. What role are you playing in that partnership? I've preached this message over the last 15 years numerous times or this part of it with fear and trembling because I realise that there's always people that hate me for it but I just want to say this, it's not too late today to make a decision about how tomorrow is going to be different and it's the reason I preach it today not because I want anyone to feel bad about some things they wish they'd done differently because all of us have a list of things in our life that we wish we'd done differently and I tell you if you come and look on the inside of my family you would know that sometimes what I preach I find really hard to put in the application at home because family life gets busy and I, I'm the pastor of the church and I don't want to annoy my kids by being that guy. If you could have sat at the few handful of times we've tried to do family devotions in other words, we don't do them regularly around the table. You would see the absolute debacle and disaster that those turned into. You would know that I haven't got all this right in my own story, in my own life. But we've made some decisions as a family about where we're going to locate and what priorities we're going to make in our life so that we partner with the people and the places and that we as a family are present in places that matter. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Don't walk out of this room feeling guilty or overwhelmed or depressed at what you haven't done. Even if your kids have grown up and left home, tomorrow is a brand new day and God is a God of grace and fresh beginnings. And so there's always a fresh start. 
but let your family become a place where disciples of Jesus are raised and when there's a compelling vision of Jesus is given. That's God's vision for your family, but what's God's vision for our church? I reckon God's vision for our church is to be a family. Psalm 68 says this, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads them out. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I mean, this is a song that was written, but it picks up the heart of God, that God recognises in a broken world that so often the ideal doesn't exist. And in your life and in your story and in your experience, the picture of the ideal family may not probably, for the greater majority, doesn't exist in the way that we wish it would. Some of us have lived in broken families. Some of us have lived in families that have been full of anger and hate and injustice. Some of us have lived in families of neglect and isolation. Some of us have never known our families. Some of us have families right now that are fractured, where people aren't talking to one another. We live in a broken world, and one of the places where that brokenness takes greatest root is in families. But God gives us a picture of who He is like, and therefore who He calls us to be that for those that don't have a family, that we, the church, become that family to them. That the church becomes a place that offers protection. That the church becomes a place where people can be authentic. Where the church offers a place where wisdom is shared and lives are discipled. And God himself says, even to those that are fatherless, I'll become their father. Even those that have lost their family, I will become their defender. And I'll take those that are lonely and I'll place them in families. That is God's heart for you. We live in a culture and a world where the greatest pandemic of our lifetime isn't a virus, but is loneliness. Where people every day wonder who I have, who loves me, who knows me, who cares for me. And we, the church, have the opportunity to create a home for the lonely. Would we be that place so that the isolated, the disconnected, the marginalised, those that are far from home could find a home? That is God's vision for his church, that we would be a place of family. But finally, I get the band to come join me. Coming into a quick landing now. God has a vision for you. And that is that you would have a place that you can call home. That you would have a family that you could be part of. Actually, the greater picture of Scripture is that God invites you to be part of his family. When Jesus is announced at the start of John's Gospel, John says this in John chapter 1, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So the invitation for you when it comes to Jesus 
isn't that you would just know him as some far off figure who kind of demands some things of your life. The picture of the scriptures is that God has drawn near and invites you to become part of his family. Invites you home, invites you back to the place that you always intended to be in relationship with him and in relationship with others. Some of you are here today and you feel isolated, you feel lonely, you feel like you've been rejected from your real and nuclear families. You feel like an outcast, you feel like you have no place of belonging. Well, the Bible says this, God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, and that all who receive him and believe in his name have been given the right to become his kids. God doesn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't leave us disconnected. He welcomes us into his family. And then he calls us, his people, to be a family to others. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you've got a place to call home. What I want to do today is introduce you to Jesus who welcomes you into his family, who calls you home. Can you stand with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for your vision for family. And God, it's not a limited vision. It's actually one that's inclusive of all that become part of our sphere of influence, our house, those that you gather together in those places where together we share life in its most mundane detail, but also in its most real and raw and significant. God, I want to pray this morning for those here that are parents that still have influence over the next generation. God, would you just impart wisdom into them, give them the courage to share their stories, to be vulnerable about their mistakes. God, to speak life and wisdom into the next generation so that the next generation might grow with a greater understanding of how the world works and God, how you direct us so that we can flourish and live long, blessed, healthy lives in the world that you've given us. God, for those of us that are Lord and looking to to our parents, God, I want to pray that you give us ears to listen, to receive, to not react to not write it off, but God, to to find your godly wisdom in it that life might go well for us. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here today that just feels like they've got nowhere to call home. Lord, I want to pray even in this space with the people that you've put them in here with today, that this might be the seed of something brand new, that you might give them a place of home, a place of family, a place of connection, a place of belonging, a place to be known, to be loved, to be cared for and to be nurtured. I just want to encourage you this morning before we finish, if uh, if you just are feeling really isolated and alone, you know, there's, there's a role that others can play for you, but there's a step that you can take for yourself. I really encourage you, we... And they're not perfect, right? Our, our life groups aren't perfect. Some of you might have been in a life group and it hasn't worked out, and I would encourage you to try it again. But we've got these groups that meet outside of Sundays that take big church. You know, the hard thing is, there's 200 of us here. It's easy to be alone in a room of 200 people. But our life groups give an opportunity for people to come into a smaller community where they can be seen, they can be listened to, 
they can be known, they can be encouraged, they can be cared for. I said, we don't always get that right, but if you're not connected to one of those places, can I encourage you? Part of God's design for you is to be part of a smaller community of people that you can be nurtured and cared for and loved. And if you're not part of a life group, you jump on our website, gatewaybaptist.com.au. There's a button on the front page, connect, or next steps. And it just says, I'd like to be part of a life group. The wonderful Justin Murray down here who coordinates that. We'll get in touch with you and talk about some of the options. It's a hard time of year to join life group because we're kind of ramping into Christmas. But that's all right. It's good when we know those that want to because it helps us actually start to get ourselves prepared and ready and forming things as we step into a new year. I'd love you if you're not connected to find a place to belong with others. If you're part of a life group, make it a regular commitment. Get along. Just just get, get along and encourage those. They need your presence and your presence needs them. I want to do something just to land this morning a little bit different or just as I was preparing I was just really feeling compelled to pray for a group of people today and I could pick a hundred things to pray out of this this morning couldn't I but I just God's done something in this church over a whole bunch of years and I don't think it's been by accident but you know it hasn't really been coordinated it's just happened that is that God's kind of called challenged, equipped and sometimes just thrust some of us into a place where we're called to open up our home to become a family for others. Some of us have taken on um, kids and some of us have taken on others into our house and we just know that God's called us, whether it's in emergency care for children that don't have a home or whether it's, you know, in just opening up our space so others can find a home and a family. God's just kind of, there's been all these little spot fires across this church over years now where there's more to that. I I just really feel like as a church, we need to pray for all of you this morning that are in that space. But I also feel like there's some of you that there's that inkling and that niggle in your heart that it's part of what God's got for your future. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to do something that we all hate, but that's all right. And that is, if that's you, would you just step out of where you are and you can either come to the front or just go into the aisles. If God's called you to be people that open up your home or you've already done it, you've expanded your family. And uh, I just, just feel like we today need to stand with you. We need to pray God's wisdom on you, God's blessing, God's patience, the resources of heaven. Because it's a big call and a tough thing. Family life is hard life and it's slow life and it's mundane life. And it's hard enough when we've had a chance to build into it sometimes when the dynamic of our family changes overnight. You know, we just really need the wisdom of heaven. So if that's you, can I just ask you right now? But as I said, we'd finish a little bit differently this morning. That's all right. Maybe come out the front, step to the sides. We, we need to pray for you this morning. I know there's somebody in this church. Spread out a bit. And Karen. Others. Come forward now. I think everyone's coming forward. I'm seeing some going to the back, but we'll end up praying for people that just to stand at the back. Hey guys, it's, it's a... It's a big thing when you're called to expand your family 
there's an impact on that, but I think just God's got his finger on that. And so I just love you, church. Would you just come and pray blessing over these people? Pray for God's wisdom over them. Pray for God just to speak, to give new energy, new resource, new life. Why we do that? Move from where you are. We've got no professional prayers in this room today. We've just got a professional that we pray to. It's good news. Awesome. Hey, Lord God, thank you for those that you've placed a special call on to expand their family, their home, their house, so that it would be a place of protection, of wisdom, of discipleship, of authenticity, of love and of belonging. God, would you just give every resource unto heaven to these incredible people. For those that have felt compelled in their spirit that this is part of the call that you have on their future, Lord, I want to pray that you would just fan that into flame, that you would make that clear, give great clarity to that, I pray. While these guys are praying for these people, we're going to just speak the name of Jesus over our families this morning. Whatever you need to receive out of today's message, I pray you do. Take it with you. Take, don't take challenge as something that we lament over. Always take God's challenge as the encouragement that tomorrow we have the chance to apply something that's going to transform the future and make it different from the past. What's the challenge you take and what's tomorrow look like? Maybe it changes something in your diary. Maybe it changes something in your priority list. Maybe it changes something that you spend your money on. I don't know what it is, but always take challenge as God's invitation to a different future. What's the challenge for you today?